Because ultimately, it just goes back to the very beginning. You can't do it by yourself. It's cool to say self-made. You know, there are a lot of people that did things on their own. Like nobody handed you your book of business. Like you went out and started an insurance agency and you built it up on your own, but you had to rely on people. People helped you. There were people that pushed you along the way. Same with me, radio, television, any other field, personally, professionally, friendly, whatever that is. So that would be another major piece of advice that I hear from a lot of coaches is talking about self-scouting and scouting themselves. Almost more important than scouting your opponent, to be honest, Mm. because I mean, what does Saban say all the time? We have to beat ourselves. Like we have to worry about ourselves. We have Mm. to be the best we can be because if we're not that, it doesn't really matter who we're playing. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our leadership, develop our teams and scale our business in a way that allows us to get our products and services out to the world yet still remain profitable? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner, and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hamner, your host. On today's episode, we have Cole Kubelik. Cole is a former Auburn University offensive lineman and captain. He joined ESPN in 2011 as an analyst covering the SEC, the Sunbelt Conference. He's a weekly guest on the Paul Feinbaum Show. And in the fall of 2017, he joined the SEC Saturday Night, the franchise that features SEC Network's marquee college football game as a field analyst alongside Jordan Rogers and commentator Tom Hart. He is also the host or co-host of McElroy and Kubelik in the morning. I know many of you college football fans are going to be very familiar with Cole, and you'll learn a little bit about my story with Cole and how he and I've got to know each other and just really get to peek behind the scenes of not just his journey, but also the many things that he's been able to learn along the way just detailing college football's highest performers, whether it's Alabama, Auburn, all across the SEC. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Cole Kublik. Have you ever tried online marketing before and weren't sure if it was working? Maybe your rep talked about all the impressive features and stats and said things were going great, but you didn't know how all that tied into raw new policies written. Well, that's not the case with Direct Clicks. Direct Clicks is the premier Google Ads and SEO option exclusively for State Farm agents. Why? They're 100% resource-oriented with an exclusivity guarantee. Every review call you have with your account manager focuses on what really matters to your business, and that's leads and call-ins received. Everything will get broken down to cost per lead received. By investing with direct clicks, you're going to free up time and energy to focus on what's most important in your agency and doing what it is you do best. This will be the best investment you make for your team by spending confidently and scaling your agency today with exclusive online marketing partner, Direct Clicks. Visit us at directclicksinc.com. Ambition is the first step towards success. It's time to level up your agency. And Coach P Consulting will help you do just that by using the same strategies he used to sell over 700 life insurance policies in 2021 alone. Now, this is not your regular one and done type coaching. You'll get personalized coaching two days a week, every week of the month, and you'll get a live look behind the scenes of his team training and an office that's performing at the highest level. There's a reason Coach P Consulting is the fastest growing coaching company for insurance agency owners in the country. 
Coach P will train your team alongside his own and show you the exact steps they're taking to achieve chairman circle, exotic travel, and multi-line presence club, and be one of the few agents to be selected to have a third office. So whether your goal is to be at the top of your local market or amongst the best in the country, this training will give you the strategies and the tactics to get there. For just $250 a month, you'll get high-level coaching each week from someone who is already getting it done at that level, and his strategies work, and it's time to put them to work for you. Sign up at coachpeakconsulting.com and get your first full month for free when you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Cole Kublet, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, man. Good to be with you. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. It's glad to have you. So we always start with background and origin story. So I know a lot of people know you from your time with football and on the SEC network, et cetera. But a lot of people don't know your story like I do. And so why don't you just kind of take people back maybe from post-football at Auburn and bring us to present day? Ooh, that's a lot. I got into pharmaceutical sales right after. Well, actually, when I first got out of school, I went and coached middle school football at Bumpus Middle School in Hoover, Alabama. I enjoyed it. It was fun. I think I made $400 for the season. So obviously didn't really feel like that was going to work out. Ended up finding a job in pharmaceutical sales, which is what I kind of intended on getting into getting out of college. Uh, I had an aunt that was in it that kind of helped me out, helped me with my resume, helped me meet people, helped direct me to a few things, found a company that was expanding, got pretty fortunate because the guys that interviewed me knew my name because they were college football fans and Started doing that, did that for about three years, uh, transitioned over to medical sales and did that for a couple of years and then got into a different version of medical sales with another company. So that was probably about the first eight years out of college as far as my profession, what I was doing. But the first year that I was out of school, I knew a guy in Huntsville, Alabama that owned a, a cluster of radio stations. And I knew that one of those radio stations carried Auburn football. I was living in Huntsville. Uh, a guy played quarterback with me. Ben Leard was living in Decatur, which is 30 minutes away. And I just stopped by the guy's office one day. I had met him through my father and knocked on the door. He was there, went in, talked to him, said, I know you have Auburn football. I said, well, I got two guys that know the team better than anybody because we were on it last year. Why don't you give us a pregame show? And I learned a pretty valuable lesson in radio right then, maybe the most important lesson in radio. He said, well, if you can sell it, you can have it. And I didn't really know what he meant, honestly, at first. And he said, you go get some advertisers and get them on board and we'll give you the show. It's a 30-minute show. So you're talking 17 minutes of content, maybe, between two guys. And we did the first show. I'll never forget. It was down on the parkway. I was driving back down South Memorial Parkway to my apartment, called my mom. I said, mom, that's where I need to be. I was home. That's my career. And she said, well, that's great. And then maybe the next most important lesson as it pertained to media, she said, don't give up your day job and mm -hmm. make sure you can go do that full time somehow, some way, and you're going to be able to survive. Well, that ended up being a real challenge because I would do that pregame show for, I guess, three more years. Ben moved down to Auburn the next year. We did it from down there live before home games. I met a guy named John Cole while I was doing that because we did it from the same stage that the Auburn Network did their show. And he said, man, I've been listening to you do this show. Stan White's moving over to radio. Would you be interested in doing the replays for CSS on television? I said, yeah, absolutely. This is where it gets pretty funny when kids these days that are in college come to me and say, hey, can I shadow you? Or how did you get into this? And tell me your path. Because I tell them that I did games on CSS for replays and I did pay-per-view games. And nobody has any concept of what either one of those are. I think only Oklahoma has pay-per-view games. and They have one a year. 
There is no CSS anymore. There are no replays on a third-party network that run throughout the course of the week. But I did that for two years. It was great, great experience. Worked with Andy Burcham. You know, got to travel with the team to some places, did an SEC championship game, did a couple Iron Bowls. And I guess it was good that if we ever did make a major mistake, they could just take it out because it was for replay purposes. It wasn't live. And then a guy at CSS called me after the second year and said, I've got a Sunbelt package if you want it. It'd be 12 games. And at that point in time, I knew I loved doing it and I was enjoying it, but I kind of looked at it like I looked at football. If I wanted to be good at it, I needed to rep it and I needed to have as many opportunities as possible. So I took it and there were some Auburn people that weren't happy about it. They were pretty frustrated that I would go do Sunbelt games instead of Auburn games. But I looked at it as one or two versus 12. And to me, that was a no brainer. Now, knowing what I know now, I probably should have said, well, I'll take the 12. But when you have an Auburn game, I want to do that game. So can I not do Sunbelt when you have the Auburn pay-per-view game and still do that game? When you're begging and pleading to get into an industry, you don't really think you have any sort of leverage at all, which I still Mm -hmm. have that issue today sometimes where I don't view myself as someone that really has a lot of leverage or I don't really try to maneuver like that anymore. I'm just kind of happy a lot of times with what I get and I'm always willing to do more. So I did that, did Sunbelt for two years. It was three years. It was really cool. I did it with Joe Davis, who Fox just announced is going to be the next voice of the World Series, does Mm -hmm. Dodgers. I did it with Joe Block, who is one of the play-by-play voices of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I did it with Tom Doerr the third year, who was the play-by-play voice for WGN for two Chicago Bulls championship runs, played at Missouri. And he's actually featured in The Last Dance 30 for 30. You can see him a couple of times over on the sideline mm-hmm. calling games. So I met some really cool people doing that. Sandra Golden, who does radio in Atlanta, worked with her. It was an awesome experience. It really did teach me how to act, how to operate, what to understand, to look for, not look for, what things were going to be like, how to work with different people. Obviously, the production value wasn't great. And so I think that's something that still sticks with me today because I've worked with certain people who they'll complain about a camera angle or not enough equipment or this audio. And I'm just thinking, man, I did Sunbelt games on CSS in Denton, Texas at 8 p.m. on a Saturday night. And I know damn well there wasn't 20 people watching those games. So I think I'm good here. Like, we're fine. So Did that for a couple of years, and then the SEC Network rolls around, and the releases start coming out, and Booger McFarlane, and Marcus Spears, and Maria Taylor, and McElroy, and Tebow, and I only got those people knew who I was, and so I was pretty bummed, and I had gone from doing 12, 13 Sunbelt other games a year to when the SEC Network came around, ESPN was losing the rights to, or ESPN took those rights to those replays. So there weren't a lot of other games to do. And well, ESPN also took the Sunbelt package and they sort of turned that into a little bit of a feeder system, a minor league, if you will. And the guy who was in charge of that, I still remember the conversation vividly to this day. He said, I think you're pretty good at what you do. I don't think you're great at what you do. I think you've plateaued. There's no reason for me to put you on these games anymore. And I'm not really sure I see you advancing any further. So we really don't have anything for you. And I was pretty much heartbroken at that point because I knew I had to have those games if I wanted to get better. SEC Network gets going. And I think I had like two alternate games or something. And I talked to a couple of friends that I knew. There's a guy that's the associate athletic director at Samford right now named Bo Kerr. He went to Auburn with me. We had a bunch of classes together. He had worked for ESPN Regional. And he's like, listen, we need to go to lunch. We need to sit down. And he gets a notepad out and he starts writing down names. And it was Steve Ackles, Stephanie Drewley, John Vassallo, Patrick Donaher. He's like, these are all the people that you need to start emailing. You need to start calling. You need to send them your stuff. Because I know you can do this. I've seen you do this. You're good enough to do this. But 
you got to start learning how to get in front of the right people. And these are all the people you need to be in front of. So I started hounding them and I started calling them. My wife will tell you a story. We were living in, in Decatur and we drove to Auburn. And because they were doing this like SEC network presentation to the students and Stephanie Drewley was going to be there. And I knew I needed to get in front of Stephanie. And we went down there and the thing lasted like 20 minutes. Joe Tess said like 10 words. Bo Jackson said like 20 words. Stephanie Drewley said like 50 words. And then it was over. And she's like, we came down here for this. And I said, no, we came down here for this. And we walked around back and waited for everybody to walk out, sat around for about an hour, finally just went, shook her hand, told her who I was. And she said, great. We'll see what we can do. And she turned around and walked away. So that was the amount of time that I got after that trip. Meaning to say, my wife wasn't very happy about that. That kind of turned into a few things that got me an audition for a studio job. Before I auditioned for that studio job, you know, I was doing 10, 15 games a year. And then I went down to like one or two. And I remember my wife pulled me aside one day and she said, here's the deal. You either need to figure out how to be on. This was in the fall. This is a Saturday in the fall. I could probably at 6 p.m. I had been watching games all day. And I didn't know what was going on with her, what she was thinking. And she said, you need to figure out how to get more games, how to be on TV more. And I said, well, I mean, yeah, that's the ultimate goal. She goes, no, no, no. Either figure that out or find something else to do. Because miserable coal on Saturdays in the fall is not something that I'm going to be able to live with. So Mm -hmm. figure it out. Because I know you can do this, but you just need to go get it. Mm. And so kept pursuing, kept making those calls, got an audition in Charlotte for a studio gig. I did a little hit with Peter Burns, did a little hit with Feinbaum. Everybody's like, oh, man, this is so good. You've got this locked up and get to SEC Media Days. I find Stephanie Drewley. She pulls me into a room and she goes, here's the deal. She said, we're hiring three people and you are four on a list of three. So I don't have anything for you. And once again, just kind of like kicking the chest. Not really sure how I'm going to bounce back from that. I thought that was kind of my last resort. And as I was walking out, Steve Ackles grabbed me. He knew who I was and we had shared some conversations. And he's like, hey, I thought you had that deal, man. I'm really sorry. We're going to get you some games. But he's like, we would have found something earlier to put you on. But I thought you would be in there and have that deal. He's like, you're going to get a call from a Connecticut number tomorrow morning. Answer it. And, you know, we'll figure something out. I didn't believe him and actually drove back home from media days that afternoon in Birmingham to Decatur because I just want to be with my wife and daughter. I just didn't want to be around it anymore. Drove back the next morning, did my radio show. And then sure enough, about five minutes after the show's over, I think it's 860, the area code. And I saw it and I was like, huh, I answered it. And it was a guy that did college football for ESPN, Ed Placey. And he said, listen, we like what you're doing. We think you've got some ability. We're going to find you a couple of games this year. And I did a patchwork season, mainly with Mike Cousins and Kevin Weidel. Cousins still works for ESPN. Kevin Weidel is a scout for the Ravens now. And it was a blast. I mean, we did AAC. Like we did some Houston games, some Memphis games. We did Mountain West. We did a game at Utah State. We did a couple SEC Network alternate games. We did a few high school games. Like we did a little bit of everything. But like all three of us just had fun. We got along great. We love football. And obviously I learned a lot. And then the next year, I think I got probably 15 or 16 games. The year after that, they put me on the early game on SEC Network with Tom Hart and Andre Ware, put me on the sideline. First time I had done that. Well, actually, I did sideline for the Mississippi State spring game. The producer on that show, after the game, he said, hey, man, I'm sending this to everybody. Like, I can't believe how that sounded and what you did. We got to figure something out. And then they put me on with Tom and Andre the next year. And then the year after that, Jesse and Musburger left. Then they put Tom Jordan and I 
on the primetime package. And I believe this fall, if we're all together, will be year six wow. that we've been together, which is kind of crazy. There's not a lot of teams that have been together for three or four years, much less six years. Yeah. And then, you know, did some radio there in Huntsville. 2010 was, a, so to kind of back up, 2010 was the first time I went full-time media. I was getting fired from my medical sales job. They wanted me to pretend like I wasn't getting fired and say I was going into the media because they felt like that would be a nice transition for, I guess, them to look good with all the accounts that I used to have. So I go do radio and then I go still doing some TV stuff. And that floated for about a year. I had some money put away. I was kind of living on that too. And then the radio station I was working for, the salary just kept dwindling, dwindling, dwindling to where, okay, I'm married now. I can't do this anymore. Then I went to try insurance. I tried selling boxes. I tried a lot of different stuff. It wasn't working. Thankfully, there was a guy at a different station in Huntsville that wanted to give me a morning show around 2013. He did. And that's a cumulus station, which is also jocks where I work for now is a cumulus station. So that rolled into what I have now. And here we are. I'm doing mornings on jocks and doing SEC network and doing some other stuff for ESPN and SiriusXM and AL.com and anything else random I can find to sort of piece this thing together because it's a difficult field to just do one thing and be okay with. So That's awesome. I've known you for a long time for our listening audience. They know my affinity for Auburn football. But Cole and I have known each other since 2005, 2006. I was trying to think back that you and I lived across from one another in the medical district in Huntsville and got to know each other. That's whenever you were just going into one of the stations locally. You were leaving the medical sales job at that time off Overton Road. I'll never forget that. It was a good time. Yep. We played on a softball team together, and so we've known each other for a long time. But I say all that. I just learned some things kind of around your journey that I actually did not know. Looking back on it, do you think that there was a tipping point? I mean, because I hear like perseverance and resiliency that you were not going to give up in your dream. And with our listening audience, they're small business owners around the country, and they are just getting hit in the head sometimes all the time. Some people are obviously doing incredibly well, but some people are really struggling and they don't want to give up on their dream of being able to grow their business. Looking back, was there a tipping point or was it more stacking of individual moments that led you to where you are today? I think it was more of like a heavyweight fight. It was more like Wilder Fury 3, where both those guys spent time on the canvas and then somehow they just kept getting up and all of a sudden we're in the 11th round. If you watch that fight and you're like, how in the hell are these dudes standing up? Like neither guy could even get his fist above his waist to throw a punch. It felt like I got knocked down a lot. I just gave you a couple of those examples in there. I never wanted to give up. I never wanted to leave radio at any point in time. I turned to my two weeks notice with nowhere to go. And it was just because I couldn't keep doing what I was doing the way that I was doing it for what I was doing it for. So I just had to walk and I didn't have an agent until about two years ago. So I did most of my negotiating and most of my feeling Mm -hmm. out on my own. I think back to my dad when I was growing up and there was a word that he used to hammer home all the time. And I hated him for it because I thought it was the most annoying thing. And I never believed in it. I always thought it was dumb. I always thought that he was just kind of kissing people's ass. And it was, was like, just stop. And that word was networking. And it used to drive me crazy. Hey, Cole, you need to come meet this guy. Oh, this guy does this, 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 this. I was just like, I don't care, dad. Like, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Well, here we are, however many years later from when he was telling 10, 12, 15, 18, 25 year old Cole that that was the most important word on planet Earth. I can 
tell you right now that I fully believe that's the most important word on planet Earth. I don't get any opportunities if guys don't know my name, if guys don't hadn't been introduced to certain people by other people. If I didn't have the ability to be able to go sit in on another radio show because I knew the guy because I went to high school with him or because mm. I met him at Auburn or because I knew him from medical sales, whatever. All of those opportunities fit together. I had a quote on radio that the station that I was on actually used it and tweeted it out not too long ago. It made a lot of people mad because I used a different school, which I won't use again. But I said every dime that I've made in my life has been because I played football at Auburn. Mm-hmm. If I would have played at X, I'm not sure it would have gone that way. So I won't use another school and make people mad again. But what I meant by that was, like I mentioned with that pharmaceutical sales job, I got that first interview because the guy knew who I was. That pushed me through to the second interview, which I found out later he didn't know who I was. He didn't root for Auburn, but he just said, man, you impressed me to the point that we wanted to hire you. Well, Mark Sims was working for the company that hired me the third time. And Jim Wesson was working for the company that hired me the second time. They're both Auburn fans and knew exactly who I was. They probably don't engage in a conversation with me mm-hmm. if they're not Auburn fans and know who I am. So I say that not to say that anybody has given me anything, but they did present me with opportunities to go grab something. And so mm-hmm. I guess what I would say is you got to search high and low for those opportunities for you to go take something. And I don't mean steal, but there are going to be opportunities that are presented to you in a lot of different ways and a lot of different avenues from a lot of different people. You have to find them because sometimes they'll hit you in the face and you still don't even really know it. And you're not yeah. aware of how important that could be or what that could lead to. The other thing, like you mentioned with perseverance is just that if it's really what you want and it's really what you feel like you have to have, then you will figure it out. And there are going to be times that are really tough. You mentioned how long you've known me. And so, you know, what's happened with me, but 2012, I got a DUI. And for some reason, the Huntsville local news felt like that was a story that they needed to run from Thursday morning all the way till Sunday night. AL.com, every other website in Alabama ran it. If you Google my name, it's still one of the first things that pops up. People still treat me the, the mugshot all the time when they don't like what I say about their football team. But that's something that when that happened, and it's an unbelievable story. So I bailed out late Friday morning and my now wife, who at the time was my girlfriend, picks me up. I was doing a game in Troy, Alabama the next day for CSS. And how all those people didn't know about it, I have no idea. One guy did. My producer pulled me aside when I got to town and asked me if I was okay. I told him yes. And I ended up doing the game. Well, my wife drove me down there. My wife was like, you got to go down there. We got to do this game. We got to figure it out. I'll take you down there. I'll stay with you. I'll drive you back. And she did. And I don't think anybody really found out about it that didn't already know about it for whatever reason. I finished the game. It was, it was like a noon game. We were probably done at 3.30, 4 o'clock. And my wife and I sat in a hotel room all night and just kind of talking. I, I had to turn my phone off because you can just imagine what that was like. And then riding back with her the next day, I just came to the realization that this was somebody that I had to have by my side to be able to do some of these things hmm. and to be able to make this happen. And somebody that I didn't really want to go through a lot of these things or try to figure some of these things out without them being by my side. So that old adage of everything happens for a reason. I laugh when people say that because I bring up that example of if it didn't happen that way, then I probably would have stayed on the path that I was on, which never would have been corrected and would have led to more trouble and more problems. And there's no way in hell I'd be where I am today because I would probably just be having to scrape by after you know being in trouble. I'd probably be dead to be perfectly honest with you. So mm. you've got to network. You've got to find different avenues and different ways to figure things out. You have to understand that even though some things are going to be presented to you in plain sight, you still have to go take it and attack it 
And then you're not going to be able to do it by yourself, man. You're just not. Like I got a laundry list of people that put me on their radio shows, had me on as a guest, let me co-host like Ian Fitzsimmons who worked for ESPN radio. Like that guy at different points in time fought his ass off for me to be sitting next to him just to do one radio show, like begged and pleaded. I remember I went to the Super Bowl in Dallas one year and he was doing radio in Dallas and he was like, you're in town. And I said, yeah, he goes, come sit in on my show tomorrow morning. And it was Saturday morning before the game. I was like, what does anyone care about Cole Kublik in Dallas the day before the Super Bowl? Mm. He goes, that doesn't matter. He said, people need to hear you. You can do this. You're good at this. Just get up here and let's talk some football. And mm. I went and sat with him for three hours and we did it. I mean, I could go forever on guys like that in the state of Alabama, regionally, mm. nationally, who've just given me small opportunities. You know, Lance Taylor put me on his show two years after I got out of Auburn. And nobody really cared about an old center that was beat up and started a couple of years and didn't make it to the NFL. But he's like, I want to hear what you have to say. Like, I want you to come in here and have conversations and talk. And that, again, it just kind of helped boost my profile a little bit and help people under, I mean, that's how Ryan Haney found out who I am. Ryan Haney's still my boss at Jocks today. So there are always going to be people on the way that maybe they're not even going out to try to help you fulfill your dreams or succeed at the level that you dream about succeeding. But you have to understand how those things can help you get to where you want to go. And when they're presented, take advantage of them. So just a couple of different things that have happened to me that have helped me sort of navigate my path, so to speak. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue, increase your bottom line and better manage your taxes? Club Capital is here to help. Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agents in the country, providing monthly accounting, tax strategy, and CFO services. Way more than bookkeeping and your everyday run-of-the-mill tax prep, Club Capital is focused on providing financial and tax advisory services that help you plan and forecast your agency's performance. Their financial dashboards and agency forecasting tools help you better understand your agency's historical performance, create and measure future targets, and see how your agency compares to your peers around the country. Imagine what it would be like to understand the impact to your bottom line when deciding to hire a new employee or forecast the impact rate changes or commission rates will have on your business. With over $200 million in tracked annual revenue and $140 million in tracked annual expenses, Club Capital has the data and the team to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. They will help you turn that back office stress into the backbone of your agency's success by giving you the tools to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book a solution overview with one of our business consultants. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. I just love the fact that you're sharing with other people propping you up because I think we all need sometimes other people to believe in us and other people to give us an opportunity. And then the third point I want to say is early on, I mean, you said this yourself, you were not good early on. You were not as good as you are today. Like you learned, you put in the reps. And I think that that's a, such a great parallel to sports. Like whenever you first went to Auburn and how much you had to put in the reps in two a days, et cetera. Of course, I know it's different now, but you had to put in the reps and the same thing with you didn't expect 12 months out of just starting to do your gigs that you were immediately going to be on ESPN. You actually had to put in years of work along the way. Well, it's interesting because a lot of the kids that I talk to today, when they ask me, you say, hey, I want to do what you do or I want to call games or be on the radio and do this and that. I say, OK, I've got two questions for you. I said, number one, what is your acceptable floor in this profession? And most of them have no idea even like what to say. They don't even understand what I'm talking about. And I say, well, what would you consider to be the lowest tier job 
acceptable in this field? Would it be a local news sports anchor? Would it be producing a radio show locally on a local FM terrestrial station? Would it be co-hosting a podcast? I don't know, but what you need to do is come to grips with that because whatever your ceiling is that you think you want, you're most likely not going to get there. I'm not even close to my ceiling that I want, but I also love what I'm doing and feel fortunate to be able to do what I do every day. I tell people I haven't worked in seven years. I go sit at football games on the sideline and talk about football and talk about sports on the radio every day. I don't work. Mm. Now, I put a lot of work into it, but I actually love the work that goes into it. You know, it's where go read about Kobe Bryant and he'll tell you about the process and things like that, that once you love the things that have to be done, to make you better or make you good, that's when everything begins to fall into place. I love watching film. I mean, if I didn't have three kids, I would watch seven, eight, 10 hours of film a day. People yeah. ask me all the time, like, what's changed for you the most over the last few years? I'm like, well, I can't get home from work or radio, whatever it is, and go sit on the couch and watch film for six hours or four hours. Because I used to do that. Even when I was married with one kid, I would do yeah. that. With three, it's just not feasible. It's not possible anymore. So I have to be very selective with when I can get those things done and how I get those things done. So a lot of them that I talk to, I want to be Aaron Andrews. I want to be Kirk Herbstreit. Okay, cool. Well, there's one of those. So the chances of being one of one, there probably isn't even a chance for that. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially if you go back and look at where things were when those people ascended to where they are and how different it is now there might not even be a chance for you to be Mm. that. And so for me, the other thing, like, as you brought up, you know, kind of having to lean on other people, keep in mind, I didn't have, there was no rivals 24 seven scout on cloud three, whatever. Those weren't there. There weren't 700,000 podcasts. Each team didn't have its own website with five people that covered the team. There were local newspapers, one local radio show and the local Mm. news. And then there were probably two or three TV crews. Like that was it. So, yeah, there are a lot more opportunities now and a lot more ways to sort of fulfill some of those dreams. But find what would be acceptable before you set out and say, yes, definitively, I'm going into this. Because Mm. if you can't accept tier two or tier three, there's no reason in even starting Mm. because you're never going to be satisfied. And I'm not saying that you should find a way to just consistently be satisfied. I mean, I want to call the national championship game. I want to call a college football playoff. I want to be on the Rose Bowl on TV every year. I want to call the SEC championship game. I understand that some of those things might still be attainable, but I'm also pleased with where I am and understand that I got to keep putting the work in to be able to get there. I think some of that goes back to, to just playing offensive line yeah, and just sort of that mentality of, I was a last minute scholarship at Auburn. I tore my ACL in high school. I didn't play a full game my senior year of high school. It was already torn. I played, two series in the first game, had it scoped, came back, played one series in our sixth game, tried to block a punt, had a pivot shift again in my right knee, and that was it. They shut me down. I had ACL surgery on Halloween of 1995. So I think probably a lot of that path forced me to be a little bit more appreciative and have the understanding of whatever it is that I'm getting, I should probably continue to find ways to work to improve and find ways to make sure that I'm doing things that other people are not. So that's just kind of where you mentioned sports and how sports plays into what you are today and what things, what it can do for you. All of those things, work ethic, challenges, overcoming things, that's all gone a long way in making me who I am today. You know, when I was going to have Cole on, he talks about sports 
literally in the trenches every day. I told him, I said, I just felt like that his story would resonate with so many people and kind of see a different side of Cole that maybe he doesn't share as much. But that being said, I do need to ask you, because I think that you get a peek, you get an insider's view that not many people do of high level performance, both from the athletes themselves, but also the leadership of the coaches and the athletic directors, et cetera. So with people around the country who are wanting to be able to grow their businesses and develop their teams, what are some of the things that you can take away, like try to boil it down to the last 10 years or so? I know it's difficult to like, these are the biggest things I've learned, maybe from a specific coach or just, man, this is a billion dollar industry. And these are huge budgets. What are some things you've learned from the coaches and athletic directors and high level leadership people you've been around? The first thing that I would say is you almost kind of hit it a little bit earlier. I would never try to downplay the success of a Nick Saban or any other coach that I've been around. I've been around some pretty successful ones. I did radio for the Rose Bowls this year and interviewed Ryan Day before the game. I think the first thing that I would say that I have seen for the coaches who have succeeded is, number one, it's they're not doing it by themselves. And just because you don't hear constantly about assistant coaches or analysts or people in administration helping them, they rely on an army of people every single day. It's why so few coaches actually call plays anymore because there's a lot of handholding that goes, I mean, now with the portal, you're recruiting your own players every day. You're recruiting your roster every day, strength and conditioning, academics, travel, how you're going to recruit, who you're going to recruit, who's coming in on visits. There's no way that anyone can manage even the majority of that on their own. So they have armies of people who help them. I had a guy that worked for Nick Saban one time tell me that the coolest thing that he thought ever happened while he was working for Nick Saban was that Nick would text him every morning and he texted all the assistants every morning and he would just say, okay, what are you thinking today? This could just be a Tuesday in the fall, like a play in Mercer. He just wanted ideas from people around him. Mm. And I think from a radio show perspective, I've tried to take that too. Like I'm an idea guy. You've heard me before. I try random things. Some of them are crazy stupid and they fail on the spot. Some of them are hilarious and I'm still using 10 years later, but I'm an idea guy and I don't have all the ideas. A guy that I know very well, that's super successful, Conrad Thompson, a good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget this quote that he told me. Every great idea is stolen. Now it may be twisted and contorted and utilized in a very different way, but Every thought comes from something else. Something spurns you to think of something. So I don't think there's anything wrong with leaning on people. This is different than SEC coaches, but in radio, one thing that I tell people all the time, the most valuable lesson that I've learned in radio, other than that first one that I shared with you earlier in this podcast, because sales is everything, is I tell people all the time, don't be afraid to admit when you were wrong. And I'll give you a quick story on it. So I was Lance Taylor and Ian Fitzsimmons were doing the Jocks Roundtable in Birmingham. They used to have me come sit in with them every now and then. And this is when Rolando McLean was coming out of Decatur to go to Alabama. Yep. And I had gone, my brother's team went and played a playoff game in Decatur. And I had heard about this linebacker. So I'm watching and watching him. And towards the end of the game, the effort was not great. And so I shared that. I said, listen, I said, my concern would be a little bit of attitude and effort. I said, I've seen him in a game, just kind of shut it down. Obviously super talented, whatever, whatever. Well, two years later, they had me back on the show. This guy calls in and he said, I just wanted to ask Cole Kublik about Rolando. And he said he wasn't going to mount to nothing. And now he's the best player in the country. And it's going to be top 10 pick and neat leads the nation tackles. And 
I didn't even think twice about it, Bradley. I said, you know what, sir, you're right. I missed that. I was wrong. I was wrong about him. And that's what I thought I saw. And I missed. And the guy literally had nothing to say. Mm. It's over. Mm. And I think a lot of times we try to weasel our way into being right or we try to fight being wrong. And all that's going to do is just drag things on and on and on and on and on and make it more difficult for you, make it more difficult for the people you work with instead of just owning it and saying, you know what, man, I screwed that up, but I'm going to move on. I won't do it again or I'll be better next time. Some guy went and found a tweet of mine about Charles Cross from this time last year about the draft because he was being mocked in the top five and Emory Jones being mocked in the top 10. I tweeted out, I couldn't believe which one was more surprising, Cross in the top five or Jones in the top 10. And he tweets and he's like, Charles Cross comes off the board at nine. And I just said, you know what, man, I was wrong. He had a great year. And technically I was right because he didn't come off in the top five, but still I'm okay admitting that I didn't think he was going to have that good of a year. And he did. So I think also just being able to keep some of that humility, what you're doing, how you're doing it, because in every coach that you talk to that is successful in the SEC, in college football, anywhere, there's a common thing that you will hear about them, and that's self-scouting. And Mm. something that's very difficult to do because take you, your profession, how do you self-scout? Like, do you go back and think about conversations you have with your employees? Do you go back and look at how long you were in the office? Do you go back and look at, I mean, you can obviously go look at your sales numbers. Okay, great. Anybody, that's like going to look at a quarterback stats and saying you were good or you were bad. Mm. That tells a very small portion of the story. We mm. want to see how you're reading a defense. We want to know what your progressions were. We want to know what protection you try to get into. We want to know where you thought the blitz was coming from and it didn't come from on that time. Why didn't you send the back to the right instead of to the left? Did you keep the tight end energy? Let him go out. Those things will tell you the story of conceptually where people are. And that's how you sell scout and you go out and you get better. So for me, every now and then I'll fire up a podcast of one of our shows and I'll just listen. And a lot of times I cringe. Man, I can't believe I said that. Or, oh, it sounds awful the way that came out. But you have to do it. You have to go listen to your process and your product and what you're putting out there to ever find out if it can improve. Because most of us are our own worst Mm. critics. And I hate the way my voice sounds. I hate a lot of the things that I say. But when I listen to it, I know I can find things that I want to be better the next time. Whether it's Nick Saban, whether it's Billy Napier, whether it's Brian Kelly, you'll always hear those guys talking about self-scouting. And it's not just their team or their players or their coordinators, or their X's and O's, it's themselves. How can I better manage our practice time to be more efficient? How can I better manage the amount of time our team spends in meetings so they can pay attention and grasp more concepts? Do we need to walk through more? Do we need to watch more film as a team as opposed to in our position groups? All that self-scouting. I think that a lot of us forget it. And maybe a lot of us have just flat out never been taught it. But I'll go to my big boss in Dallas. I'll go to my boss in Birmingham every couple months and just say, hey, listen to the show for an hour, for two hours, two days in a row. And I just really want to know what you think. I want to know where I can be better. I want to know what I'm doing wrong. Because ultimately, it just goes back to the very beginning. You can't do it by yourself. It's cool to say self-made. You know, there are a lot of people that did things on their own. Like nobody handed you your book of business. Like you went out and started an insurance agency and you built it up on your own, but you had to rely on people. People helped you. There were people that pushed you on the way. Same with me, radio, television, any other field, personally, professionally, friendly, whatever that is. So that would be another major piece of advice that I hear from a lot of coaches is talking about self-scouting and scouting themselves. Almost more important than scouting your opponent, to be honest, Mm. because I mean, what does Saban say all the time? We have to beat ourselves. Like we have to worry about ourselves. We have Mm. to be the best we can be. 
because if we're not that, it doesn't really matter who we're playing. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, the humility that it takes to go back and reflect on yourself, because when you get better, everybody around you will get better if you work hard. I think it's Tony Robbins on I'm Not Your Guru says, work harder on yourself than anything else. And that's the same thing that Sabin or Harson or anybody else is saying. All right, you ready for a quick rapid fire, Enon, rapid fire questions? Sure, yeah. Who is the one person you have not interviewed that you want to interview in sports? Probably Bilicek. If John Madden was still alive, it would be John Madden. What is your favorite book? I always go back to, just because it stuck with me for so long, but Hatchet when I was a kid. And that's like fifth, sixth grade, something like that. I vividly remember being put in bad situations, how to overcome it, and how to sort of find your way out of certain predicaments. I've read a lot of other books on leadership, on culture, on just football, different things like that. But that book has stuck with me longer than anything else that I've ever read. So I still have it towards the top. And I would probably next in line give you about five or six children's books because that's all I read these days. (laughs) I totally get that. All right. You're on all the social media platforms. You have to get rid of all of them, but you keep one. Which one is it and why? I would keep Twitter because it's the most informative for what I do every day. And it can be a cesspool and it can be frustrating and it can be annoying and it can be toxic. Absolutely. A lot of it is. But it's also the most valuable tool that I have for gaining information on a daily basis. Just because of how rapid it is, how up to date it is. And then how you can also go back to things from a week ago, a month ago, a year ago and be able to find as well. So. It has become, I believe, in sports media, the most valuable resource out there, outside of the internet. Now that Elon has it, we'll see what happens here pretty soon, what he does. All right. I know you love to fly Delta out of Birmingham, flying around the country, but you're on a (laughs) 10-hour Delta flight, and you can sit next to anyone, dead or alive. Who is it? Well, the easy answer would be my wife. I don't think we've ever sat next to each other for 10 hours, to be honest (laughs) with you. So especially in the last seven years, which is the age of our oldest child, we just don't get that opportunity really to do that. So my dad's family grew up in Pittsburgh. And I found- That's why you're a Steelers fan. It is, yeah. And I was a Pirates fan for a long time until they traded Bonds and Bonilla and then I just threw in the towel. But I was going through some of my dad's stuff about a year ago. And I found this article in this, like it's like a local Pittsburgh magazine. And it was about my great, great grandfather. And it was his story of coming from Croatia to Ellis Island to Pittsburgh because of the Croatian population and how he worked in the steel mill and his wife brought him lunch one day and she saw the gear that he had on and how hot it was and how dangerous it was. And she went home crying and begged him to stop. So he started a bar and then with that bar, he started a hotel and inside that hotel, he had a makeshift bank for all the Croatians in Pittsburgh that didn't speak English. So they would bring him their paychecks and he would cash them. So he essentially ran a bank out of his bar that also turned into a hotel. Wow. It would probably be him just to talk about that journey and talk about like how you made those things happen and how difficult that had to be. I read that article just thinking I need more information on this. Like I've got to find out. So I've asked a lot of my relatives about it that are still up there that spend a little time around him and his kids. But it was, uh, it would probably be him, honestly, just to hear exactly how all that went down because it's one of the coolest stories I've ever heard. That is awesome. Oh, that would be great to be able to sit next to him and just ask him those questions. That would be great. All right, best player in college football you've ever seen in person? I mean, 
I saw Cam Newton play in person. So I still say that Cam Newton's the best player that I've ever seen in college. Now, I didn't really watch Bo Jackson and Herschel Walker in college. I didn't see Adrian Peterson in person. I didn't see Reggie Bush in person. I think those are other guys that would sort of fit into that. I didn't see Vince Young in person, but I watched Cam play a couple of times and I will always go back to this statistic. There has not been another NFL reception or rushing attempt from that 2010 Auburn football team. And there has only been one offensive lineman that has started a game in the NFL. And that was due to injury from that Auburn football team. So take into perspective when you hear people talk about whether it's Joe Burrow or whoever else, all the guys they had around him or whatever. And then it's not that Cam didn't have good players. It's a veteran-laced team with role players that knew their role, but not one of those players has caught a pass or rushed the football in a regular season NFL game. And only one lineman has started a game. That to me is the most ridiculous stat for a guy that won the Heisman and put his team on his back and won a national championship than anything else I can ever think of. I think Darren McFadden would probably be like my sleeper pick. Mm-hmm. I just haven't seen a guy that move that fast and be able to, to do the things that he could do. He was unbelievable. But Cam is always going to be that guy for me. If you are an Auburn fan, you have nightmares of Darren McFadden at 11 o'clock game at Auburn running 200 and something yards against us. It was a terrible day for, as an Auburn well, there's fan. A, unfortunately, there's a laundry list from about four straight years of that happening with Arkansas running backs. Yeah, uh, Tally and Felix Jones, Matt Jones playing quarterback. I mean, it's like Arkansas had yeah. a guy that ran for 200 for about six straight years, it felt like. Yeah, but they did feel that way, yeah. All right, other than Auburn, what's your favorite college game day experience? You've been on a lot of campuses. What's your favorite one? Man, so much depends on the team and how much success they're having. And then obviously the game, the opponent, who they're playing. I will say, I had a chance to call this last year's Rose Bowl on radio. And it was my first time at the Rose Bowl game. I had been to the national championship game at the Rose Bowl, but first time attending the actual Rose Bowl. To have Utah make their first trip, to have Ohio State make their first trip, that was just, it completely blew me away. As far as a campus, every time I go back to LSU and go to Baton Rouge, man, it just feels special. There's a different aura about that place. There's a different energy in that place, especially for a bigger game. You know, I've had Ole Miss there at night. I've had A&M there at night. I played there twice at night. I mean, South Carolina is super underrated. I think it's awesome. And most of my family lives in Columbia, so that makes it a little bit more special. Gainesville can be great. Tennessee was great for the Ole Miss game last year till midway through the fourth quarter. But consistently, Baton Rouge, Tiger Stadium, LSU is that place, no matter what. They can be a three-win team or a ten-win team, and it's going to be good, no matter what. So. I'd probably have to go Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge. Yeah, there's nothing like Tiger Stadium on a Saturday night. It's pretty awesome. It really is special. Yeah. Okay. What's the most nervous you've ever been before an interview? That Tom Herman interview, I was probably pretty nervous for that one. And it wasn't even live, but everything was happening the night before and all the news was going around. We had a couple conference calls with the ESPN news desk and a couple of my bosses and people over college football that I was way too down on the totem pole to have normal conversations with at that time. And so I think because there was so much buildup, normally if I would have been there an hour before the game and somebody said, hey man, Chris Lowe just reported that Tom Herman's going to Texas. I'd have been like, oh man, I should probably ask him about that. Okay, cool. But this was literally 24 hours of, we have to talk about this. How are we gonna address this? How do we ask this? What do we do here? 
And thankfully, there were a couple of guys that were like, hey, Cole can handle it. He's good. Steve Ackles, who I mentioned earlier, was mainly that guy. I think just because of all the anticipation and then how much it was being covered. I mean, it was everywhere. It was a yeah. massive deal. And so before Houston and Memphis played in that game the day after Thanksgiving, that was probably the one that I was a little bit, I like to think that I don't ever get too nervous before interviews like that, but that was one, I think second guessing and nervous are different. You know, I've never been nervous to the point where I wasn't sure I was gonna be able to get words out. But when you start to second guess, I think that's almost more dangerous because then you don't know exactly how to say something or ask something and you stumble on your words or you just ramble or you don't get a good question out or you don't word it properly. That's where those things really become dangerous. And so I had a lot of that going on. You know, do I try to do it this way? Do I try to go that way? I had a question in my head of what I wanted to ask and I didn't want to tell anybody else because technically I knew I had it if I asked in that way. I was afraid if I told my bosses I was going to do it, they were going to shut it down. And I didn't want to risk that. So I didn't tell anybody that I was going to do it. And then there's a portion in the middle of that interview, if you go back and watch it, where my strategy really showed is I asked him what had he instructed his agent to do. Hmm. So most people would have asked, are you taking the Texas job? Are you taking the LSU job? Do you have interest in that job? And I knew that if I asked him what he had instructed his agent to do in regards to the Texas job, there was no way out. That was the end of the road. And that's when he got pissed off and the interview went sideways. Last two questions. What's the most misunderstood or underrated thing about college athletics, high-level college athletics? I would say the most underrated thing is probably most of the Olympic sports and just how talented those athletes are. This last year on SEC Nation, I went around, I did stuff with softball, diving, tennis, a lot of different mm -hmm. athletes. And unless you love golf, you probably don't watch a lot of college golf. Unless you love swimming and diving, you probably don't consume college swimming and diving. Same for softball, same for tennis, whatever. I don't think a lot of us really, yeah, we know the PGA and we watch Wimbledon and the French Open, but we don't realize just how good some of these college athletes are at what they do. Also, I'll just say, the experience, man. Being in the locker room with your guys, being able to travel, being able to go to some of those stadiums that you and I were just talking about, just the experience of it. It's still underrated because of how so few people get to do it. And you can say, oh, well, there's 3,000 college football players and 12,000 baseball players. Okay, cool. Well, how many people are in the country? So the percentage of the population that actually get to do it is still very small. Yeah. And so to be able to live it and experience it, I still say the experience is underrated. Yeah. Just because unless you've done it, you don't know everything that goes into it and you don't know everything that you get out of it. And you can get a lot out of it if you want to. And so I think that part would probably be the most underrated. And mm -hmm. I kind of feel like I get to peek in on it now. You know, that's what's cool about my job. Like I'm never going to experience it again, but I get to talk to some of these guys and girls about it and I get to be there and watch them do it in a different way, have a different lens to it. And that makes it really cool. Last question, it is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. What is the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received? I would say plain and simple that there's no substitution for hard work. I really do believe that you can almost work your way into and out of just about everything. It never stops. Oh, it's been a pleasure having you on. Hope to have you back on in the future. Absolutely, Bradley. I appreciate you having me. I'd wanted to have Cole on since at least last fall. 
I reached out and I thought, man, it'd be great to have him on. Obviously, it was in the middle of college football season, so it was going to be difficult to find the time between him traveling to different games throughout the country, et cetera. And then the time that he has, obviously, he wanted to be with his family. So it was great to be able to have Cole come on. As always, there's always a few takeaways that I like to try to share with you about what it is that I'm thinking retrospectively and thinking about the podcast. Number one, he put in the reps. He put in the work. He wasn't good at what he does. And there's the technical skills of the business that you have, whether it's an insurance agency or anything else, you think you're good at that. And then a lot of times we're not born with business knowledge. The practice ones, the great ones studied and mastered the art and the science of business leadership and the business end of business too. And so some of it is just putting in the works, putting in the reps to get better. Number two, whenever he was talking about his dad, networking, the importance of networking. And it's been said that your net worth is your network. And I know Cole can obviously relate to that. Number three, whenever you asked him the question about like, what's the thing that he's taken away from being with the athletic directors and the college football coaches at the highest level, you know, don't do it alone. That we see the head coach as an example, being out in front, but they have just an entire team that are very specialized in doing what they do. And I think that's a lesson in business. If you want to go far, you want to go fast. Uh, if you want to go far, you got to do it with a team. If you want to go fast, you can do it alone. But ultimately, I would even say if you want to go far and you want to go fast, you've got to be able to do it with a team. And then lastly, I loved him talking about self-scouting. I'd never heard that from a college football perspective. And I totally believe that that can apply to our businesses. Are we doing the things, maybe even on a weekly basis, to kind of reflect back? There's a great exercise that I heard in a book that I read several years ago. And if you begin to think about you incorporated, Y-O-U Inc, you incorporated. And let's say that you incorporated had a board of directors. Many of you don't, obviously, but let's say that you did. And that board of directors followed you around for an entire week. They saw every click of your mouse. They heard every phone call that you had. And you, Inc. was a stock. After that point, do you think that that board of directors would fire you or give you a raise and why? That's what made me think about that whenever Cole was talking about the importance that these coaches put in to self-scouting. That it's actually more important for them to self-scout themselves than it is for them to scout the others. And think how important that is, clearly. So I think that that was fascinating. That's something I will never forget. I'm definitely going to use that analogy when I'm sharing with others about you, Inc. A big shout out to our sponsors. I've been sharing with all of you that our sponsors have shared with us testimonials at the beginning. And I keep getting so many of them. It's hard for me to choose which ones, truthfully, but this one was great for Coach P. It says, David, I'm going to pay out the largest commission check in the history of my agency by more than double. And it's all your fault. Thanks for what you're doing. We're running on back-to-back months with team members having their best months, best numbers ever, and has set themselves up for a great month next month. So look, don't take my word for it. Take the word from the people that are actually doing it on a weekly basis, working with David and his team to help you get to the next level. Go to coachbeconsulting.com. And whenever you get there, make sure that you mention to sign up that you get an entire free month by just mentioning the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. And so what do you have to lose? And similarly, I was having a conversation with a business owner the other day, and they were discussing the need for them to try to figure out 
the online advertising space. And this was not an insurance agency owner themselves. They had just not been in that space. And I said, why do you think, look, we just talked to Cole about putting in the reps and that working on the business is so important. Well, why do you think that you need to be the one to be able to do that? The time that you're spending, you could use a fraction of that time and go find a who. Many of you are familiar with Dan Sullivan and strategic coach. He talks about who, not how. Instead of you thinking, how can I do this? How can I do this? Maybe you need to think about who is a person or company that I can work with that's going to be able to help me. And they're going to do it better than I would. They've spent years perfecting this process. And that's exactly what you get with direct clicks. Go to directclicksinc.com and schedule a discovery call with somebody on their team. And they'll get to know you because business is not a bathroom. It's not a one size fits all. They are going to get to know where you are and what you want to do and accomplish in your business and then custom tailor a program based on where you are to be able to help you to be able to meet those goals. And then they can walk you through an incredibly valuable tool that they have called the marketing ROI tool so that you know, hey, is the marketing I'm spending and investing in my agency, is it actually going to work and doing the things I need it to do? Go to directclicksinc.com. Lastly, we won't be able to do it without our partners at Club Capital. Go to club.capital today and book a no obligation demo. The same testimonials have been really coming out over the last few months. People are loving the new CFO services. If you don't know what I'm talking about, book a no obligation demo. And if you are a Club Capital client and you have not learned more about their CFO services, it will blow you away. It is really taking your financials to the next level and helping you to be able to make better decisions. Go to club.capital. Well, I hope you enjoyed this a little bit different of a podcast, uh, having Cole on and giving you a little bit different perspective and even a peek behind the scenes at the highest level of college athletics. Till next episode, lead well.